My man, here we go. Richard, what's going on, bro? Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for asking me. First time you saw someone reading your book or magazine, did you approach them and what'd you do? Oh, uh, no, no, no. I, uh, trying to think of the first time. I think it was, I think it was at the beach and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, enjoyed the moment and went on my way. It didn't give you like a cool rush. You see someone reading your book. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm not a, uh, Hey, that's me kind of guy or, or, uh, or, uh, you know, is the book any good kind of guy? <laughs> Where are you calling me from? I'm in Maryland, like half an hour north of Baltimore. Are you all things Baltimore, Ravens, Orioles, Terps, or no? Yeah, you know what? I uh, I graduated from University of Maryland, so a longtime Terps fan, but uh, my youngest son is at uh, University of Virginia right now playing lacrosse, so I'm a, I'm a Cavalier in it right now. I see you rocking the UVA hat. You know, my, my best friend went down there in 99 to 03, so I was down there. 50 or 60 times he played football so it is a Charlottesville is it awesome down there or what I love it I was gonna say it's a good spot he's a he's a lacrosse player so uh yeah they're always scooting around there in their scooters and yeah it's good 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 food good place yeah it's a great college town have you tried a little John's it's that sandwich joint have you ever tried it Ah, uh, not yet. Not yet. My mainstay is this Mexican restaurant, which I've been to. I, I think I've been I think I've been to Charlottesville maybe a half dozen times and I've eaten there five times. So now you've been around the horror crime writing scene for a while, but this is your first full length novel. I put down quotations. What does that mean? Because what's the difference between that and what you usually do? I didn't know the difference. Well, you know what? I've done a bunch of novellas, which are like, you know, it's kind of a short novel kind of a thing. Um you know, I did the the second Gwendy book after writing the first one with Stephen King, uh, Gwendy's Magic Feather. You know, it says a novel on the front, which, you know, is borderline true. It, it's technically it's a short novel. But I, I think that, you know, Boogeyman was twice that length and it was, a you know, definitely a legit full length novel. And I just think they wanted to kind of have that added promotional aspect of saying, hey, this guy's been around for 30 something years, but this is his first real book. Well, let's get to it. Best selling. Hopefully soon to be the a Goodreads award-winning uh, book, Chasing the Boogeyman. Congratulations on this success. And when did you know the, the book was a hit? Like was there a, a tweet or what made you be like, okay, this book has it? Because you knew it blew up right away. Um, you know, it was one it, it was one it debuted on the New York Times list at ten. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we we worked really hard on promotion and you know, it, it kind of everything was there. You know, it had a nice buzz. Um you know, it had the blurbs from people like Stephen King and Harlan Coben and and, uh, you know, so so things were trending in a really positive way. But it, it's you know, it's really hard to to hit that New York Times list these days unless you are like uh, Reese Witherspoon or uh, somebody's, you know, somebody's big book club picked you, you know, or, you know, you're one of the big guys like a Harlan Coben or a Stephen King. So. So yeah, once once it debuted there, uh, I kind of realized, okay, this is good. And then and then it started getting more printings. You know, it went into a second printing before publication, so I, I knew that was a good sign. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then during that first month of publication, you know, like my editor would email and say, hey, we're going in a third printing, and then we went into a fourth printing. So uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was it was just a cool ride, you know, getting to experience all that. Early on, now you've had success before, but this is your big blow up. Early on, you're reading any reviews? You've seen what people are reading, uh, write about it? Um, you know what? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I've got thick skin, and, and a lot of writers <laughs> say that, and, and they're full of shit. <laughs> um, 
you know, uh, but I, uh, I come from, you know, I, I honestly think it comes from, from being a former athlete where, you know, even on a good day, you're used to getting your butt chewed up <laughs> by coaches and, and so that kind of thing. So, yeah. And, and plus the other thing is, is because of uh, Cemetery Dance, because of my publishing company, I've been on the other side of the editorial desk for a long time. So I kind of have that insight where, you know, I would publish an issue of our magazine or I'd, I'd publish, you know, someone else's new book. And I would get all kinds of, you know, positive responses to it at, at the exact same time that they were coming in. I would get all kinds of negative responses. You know, my favorite story in the issue is blank. And then I'd have five more people saying, I love this issue except for blank story. It's tough, you know. So it, it's such a subjective thing. Um, you know, no feelings hurt from me. So, yeah, I was glancing, you know, they, the Simon Schuster really pushes uh, Goodreads promotions. And so, you know, you're looking at those early Goodreads that come in and good Goodreads is tough, man. It's like being a you kind of kind of have to have like a boxer mentality where you're going to take a lot of punches mm -hmm. no matter what, no matter yeah. how successful. The and so so that kind of that kind of prepared me as well as everything I just said. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and at the same time, there are plenty of negative you know, comments and, and we ran a lot of ads on uh, Facebook. So I got a kick out of reading the comments to my family members. I'd be, you know, we'd be sitting there watching football or something. And I'm like, chasing the boogeyman is the best book I've read in the last three years. Next chasing the boogeyman does not live up to the hype. I couldn't even finish it. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's just part of the, uh, part of the process. I'm going to echo what so many people have said and posted and tweeted about I legit Googled three or four times during the book. Was it nonfiction? It read so differently than everything else I read. Is that like the ultimate compliment for you? Yeah, it really is. And that was my intention. I, when I, when I sent this to my agent, um, you know, I told her, I want to Blair Witch, the audience. I, I want them just like that film back there where people believed it was real and they had a background documentary and, 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 and supporting material. I, I, my original intention was to try to pass this off as, as a real thing. And, and I, and I planned, you know, and, and as a matter of fact, the original title was the boogeyman, a true story of small town terror. Okay. And I, I planned on uh, having like a 1990s era website designed and, and planting it online. I, I planned on planting several uh, fake newspaper articles um, you know, a an early version of like a blog and all that stuff and then have it look like it just all dropped off at some point. Um, but yeah, Simon Schuster's lawyers were not crazy about that idea. <laughs> and, and, and I should have known early on my <laughs> oldest son, who's also a writer and a filmmaker, and he's, he's 22 at the time. And he's usually kind of a fly by the hip kind of guy. And as I'm progressing on this, the writing this book and talking to him about it, he's like, Dad, you can't do that. You know, you're like going to drive property values down in Edgewood and you're going to have people scared and wondering if, if, you know, the murders happened in their yard. And and so he ended up loving the fact that he was right and dad was wrong. Um, so, yeah, they uh, they made sure they put a novel on the front and have a disclaimer page in the front that essentially said, hey, this is, you know, although there are some real you know, there's some real stuff in here. Uh, you know, most of it's from the author's imagination. And I actually didn't want to write that. So they wrote it for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it is a compliment. I, you know, I, and that was the point of having the photographs at the back of every chapter instead of in a, in, instead of even having them like in true crime books, most of the time they're in one central mm -hmm. section of the book. Um, I wanted at the end of every chapter, the, the reader to get this visual reinforcement of what they had just read. 
And my hope was that by chapter five or six, you know, no matter what it said on the front of the book about it being fiction, you know, seeing these pictures and reading the words would all just kind of pile on top of each other and convince them that they were reading a real story. Now, but the book is kind of based on a true story, right? I think it's called The Phantom Fondler Terrorized Your Neighborhood for a Decade, right? So it's kind of based loosely on a true story. Yeah, I mean, that was that was definitely the catalyst for, uh, you know, everything. Like I said, everything that happened, everything that happened except for the murders, you know, everything that I cover in the book is mostly true. I really did move back to my mm-hmm. parents' house after, you know, graduation for nine months and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. And, and that was when the fan of Fondler, he was he was, you know, sneaking in people's houses at night and, and touching women, you know, on their hair, their legs. And <clears throat> excuse me, they'd wake up and he'd take off and. What's interesting is I, I knew this happened. I remember how the town reacted to it, which is very similar to in the book. Um, what I didn't remember is I thought, you know, I thought this thing probably happened three or four or five times. Um, usually you blow it up the other way, you know, in, in your memory, it gets bigger. But it, what happened is it got smaller because when I be- went back and researched everything, <clears throat> I realized that this guy had done this over 30 times and had never been caught. And I'm just I was like, Wow. He, he was arrested later in Baltimore City for an unrelated crime and he admitted to everything and the, the evidence matched up. But, yeah, I, I, 30 times that he did this in our community and was never caught is 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 terrifying. I want to give you more props because New York City guy. Now, you're a Baltimore guy. You grew up in a small town right. of Edgewood. You're, the beginning <clears throat> of the book, you spoke in meticulous detail about Edgewood. And I'm turning the pages. And if you would have told me all the first 20, 25 pages about a small town, I would have wanted to blow through it. You did something that not many people can do. And it's ultimate props. It's ultimate kiss in your ass. You made a city boy wanted to read more about this small town. Dude, that was like the perfect description. And you put the reader in Edgewood. You really did, man. Thank you. You know, what's funny is we were talking about, you know, the reviews. And most of the negative ones keyed in on the fact that, um, that, that it was a slow start. Either that or who the hell is this Chismar guy? Why does he think we're so interested in his background? <laughs> Which I laughed because, you know, editorially, it was something that my editor, uh, Ed Schlesinger, who's great and, and did a fantastic job on the book, you know, that he did bring up. You do, do you feel like you should shorten this, blah, blah, blah. And I told him, I said, no. I said, because here's what I did is I'm a big true crime fan. And I modeled it. I structured it after a lot of the true crime books that I really enjoyed. And and what they did is they kind of established um, place and, and, and the person's background who was writing the book and how they connected everything before they got to the murders or the disappearances or whatever it was in that particular book. And I always liked that. I always felt like it was really important to, to give the reader um, that sense of place and time and, and, and character um, before we got to the other stuff and, and which is the most ex- significant stuff is, you know, about the, the crimes and the victims. And I, I just especially with this one, because the book was so much about uh, this, the loss of innocence, not only for me, but for my small town, which which was my world until, you know, when you until you go away for college, it was my entire universe, pretty much. So I appreciate you saying that because uh, I, I had, a, you know, I had a chance to kind of cut that back. And I was like, no, you know what? I said, number one is fun. I get to write about all my buddies and growing yes. up and all the stuff's true. And the stuff I left out, you know, people would, would just be aghast. But but it was a typical boys growing up, you know, back in before cell phones and video games. And we were just out getting into mischief. And and I can't tell you how many people I heard from saying, oh, my God, I had the same, you know, experience throwing stuff at cars. And I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad I'm not alone. The shame is real. But 
I had to put that in there because it was such a significant part of growing up on Hanson Road. It's just like, you know, it wasn't a normal summer day unless you like plucked one car with a crab apple or something. <laughs> you know, nowadays you get shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do, doing that book, doing the outline, did you know all along you were going to make yourself the central character and the main character of the book? No, I mean, that is so out of character for me. And again, I remember my agent's reaction when I sent it because she knows she's always trying to get me to go to a book conference or this convention. And I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I like my house and I like my little pond and catching my fish and not going anywhere. <clears throat> so I'm a very much a behind the scenes guy. And to send her this book, which she didn't even know I was writing because it, it was such a strange thing that I just I didn't want anyone to talk me out of it. I was like, I, I want to write this book. And if I, that's what I told my son when he was fretting about that stuff. I'm like, Billy, we don't even know if five people will read this or 500 or 5000. Um, I said, it's such a weird idea. But so, no, I didn't know. I just remember when I told her and she was like, OK, but <laughs> yeah, what happened is I was sat down. And I started writing the introduction and. I realized, you know what? I can't fake this. This is me. This is my story. And it went hand in hand with the true crime idea, which was which was why invent somebody. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to write this as if this really happened to me back when I was 22. I said, hey, I was a young writer, too. So if I'm a little sloppy in places, all I have to say is Look, I was 22. You know, the only time I, the only thing I wrote now is the afterward about about the ultimate solving of the crime. Um, but, yeah, it. uh it, it like four, probably three or four pages in, I was like, you know what? I'm not a good enough writer to fake this. This has got to be me. So I'm going to write this about me and, and see what happens. And she did ask after she read it, she said, you really won me over. She said, I do have this question. If a publisher really wants this, um, but they want to change it to, you know, a, a, a fictional narrator, would you be open to that? And I said, I, I guess it just totally depends on what the deal was and, 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 and the reasoning there. And I said, but I understand it's weird. I said, let's just see what happens. And fortunately, Simon Schuster, they were like, they had the same response that she did in the beginning, which was okay. And then they said, I won them over too. So I, I felt good early on that, that, it at least had uh, had gotten past those first few you know hurdles and nobody had said why does Chismar think he's so important that they want to read 300 <laughs> pages about him? You're oh. open saying it's nonfiction and fiction. You know you you know kind of goes in. Is it difficult to toe the line? Obviously it's a fiction book with some true stuff. Is it difficult to make sure it's believable but not like crazy and stuff? Was it was it weird to intersect them? Um, you know what I I just really what I tried to do is I tried to write the most honest story I could. And that's like some people have said, did you embellish on the real memories? And I'm like, no, man, because the, mem the, the memories were good enough. They were they were, you know, and the, and, the, and they felt kind of sacred to me. You know, I, I didn't want the, I, didn't, I felt like I was representing myself and all the guys I grew up with. And and, and like I said, they were they were good enough stories. You know, the first time I saw a bra was a, a, a chick wrecking on her, you know, on, on buddy's bicycle and and, you know, things like that. And so um and then the stuff that that I couldn't that didn't really happen, you know, regarding the murders and how I would react to them. I tried to be honest. I tried to project myself back as that 22 year old because I do remember it happening. And and me, because I had this background in horror fiction and crime and mystery suspense. And, and I read a lot of you know early true crime books even then. Um, you know, I always I was I was waiting for things to escalate. You know, I had read a lot of stuff about serial killers and and I, I felt like if this guy is doing this. 
you know, it, at some point it's going to escalate to to a physical, you know, more than just caressing them, which is bad enough. So I, I don't mean to downplay it, but it, it's going to lead to rape or possibly murder or something. Um, and, and I wasn't hoping that it happened. But at the same time, because of I was, you know, because of the world that I was growing up in, as far as being, a, you know, a, a writer and, and an and a editor in the horror, you know, suspense field, you, you still can't help but feel. You know, and it's hard to put into words. And I try to portray that in the book. You know, you're not excited. You're not like one of the weather guys, you know, talking about the incoming hurricane. And they're like practically tap dancing. <laughs> here it comes. Um, but at the same time, you, you you can't deny the fascination that's there. And uh, that that's kind of what I try to do is just I tried to even when it was not very flattering to myself, I tried to be as honest as I could. And that's why I that's why I liked Carly Albright. She was kind of balanced me and she was kind of the one saying, hey, you schmuck. You know, not all these guys are Hannibal Lecter. You yeah, know? yeah, she not kept all... you in check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why that is just. I, but, but that was the, what I disappointed people about the most. I think at the end of the book is that there was no Carly Albright. She was kind of a a, a combination of several people I knew. But so many people were like, I I, I just want to meet Carly, and I'm like, <laughs> oh. So yeah, if there's ever a movie, that's that's the role I'm most looking forward to to being cast. Well, I'm glad you mentioned movie because for me it had a small touch of scream. It had a curfew, murder, small town. Everyone's a victim. Did that play any part of like while you're writing it? Like, okay, this is kind of a scream thing, a small town, or that might happen in any small town. Not until I was finished. You know, I really thought of it as as a little bit of like Halloween because you don't really uh, the stuff happens off screen, mm-hmm. and and that's one of my favorite horror movies, or maybe my all time favorite. Um, I, I feel like it's such a simple story told so well. And, and for a long time, that's what I said. I said, you know, because you start getting so much buzz and you get a little nervous. And I, and I remember telling people, I'm like, I'm like, you know, boogeyman, it's really just like this campfire story. It's just, I used to be that kid who'd tell the stories and scare my friends. And and this is just kind of like the grown up version of, of me and my buddies all sitting around a bonfire, having a drink and, and me trying to scare them as grown ups, And, I said it's a very small story in a lot of ways. It's this it's it's all centered in this little town and it's one guy's version. Mm-hmm. And um I just uh you know, I I'm like I listened to a lot of Bruce Springsteen when I was writing it. It was that kind of Americana thing and and uh so yeah, I didn't really think of it as anything when I was writing it other than just this very personal story. And then once I realized, you know, how the town reacted and like you said, curfews and all that, you're 100 percent right, because Scream is immediately what I went into. I said, you know what? I kind of wrote a combination of Scream and Halloween and uh, I'll be gone in the dark. You know, the Michelle McNamara crime mm-hmm. um, true crime book. And uh, I was like, I didn't mean to. And I threw a little Stephen King flavoring in there and I didn't even mean to do that. You know, the the uh, I, I remember I texted him and I said. You know, dude, I realized after the fact that I put a hopscotch grid um, in this story I'm writing, in this book I'm writing, and you have a hopscotch grid in uh, Hearts in Atlantis. And I'm like, so it, it's obviously it was this subconscious, uh, you know, uh, kind of, you know, uh, home, you know, trying to, you know, just, you know, honor yours. And I said, but I'll take it out if you want me to. He's like, no, no, that's cool as hell. Leave it in. So, <laughs> yeah, I uh, – it's just funny because I, I I wish I could go back and say, you know, yeah, I was really smart from the beginning and kind of did a little of this, but I didn't. I just really wrote the story I wanted to write and 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 it came together. So that 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 was the cool thing. 
Chasing the Boogeyman. We're talking murder. Small, to, uh, small town. You're the lead guy. Give the synopsis of the book. We gave everyone the full background. Just give the meat and potatoes of what the book is. Essentially, it's it's about 22-year-old me who just graduated from the University of Maryland with a journalism degree uh, with no intentions of using it because he inexplicably started a little horror magazine his senior year in college called Cemetery Dance. So he's enga- I'm engaged um, to get married in about nine months. Uh, my fiancé my and I decide, hey, I'm going to move home for nine months and save money instead of going out and getting an apartment now and, and paying rent because we're young and poor. Um, and I'm just going to work on my magazine and I'm going to write my stories and send them out to other magazines and uh, just try to make this crazy dream work. And so I moved back to my hometown and to the bedroom I grew up in. And it's just it, it's just a really interesting dynamic there because I, I am standing on that threshold of adulthood, about to be married and living out on my own. But I'm living in my old bedroom and I'm staring out my window. And, wow. you know, how I described it was I'm every day I'm seeing the ghosts of my childhood out there. Um, and while all this is happening, I'm working on my horror magazine, writing my scary stories. There's actually uh, someone in town doing bad things. And, and the town is, is uh, you know, kind of losing their mind and, and turning on each other. And there's neighborhood watch programs and all this other stuff. And uh, and I get involved in the story, you know, firsthand. So that's that's kind of the synopsis. It's 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 always difficult to put in a sentence or, mm-hmm. sentence or two. It sounds ridiculous. But um it's uh yeah I mean and and everything up to the murders occur is is pretty much true. Well, let's talk about cemetery dance. You started that in '88 while you're in school. How'd that idea come about? Because that's a bold move. Now everyone can throw a blog on and stuff. You started a magazine. That's pretty wild. So how'd that come about? And what was uh what was your end game with that? Did you always know like okay, do you have a backup plan? That's my answer. So you start cemetery dance. Why? How? And what was your backup plan if that didn't go through? No, no backup plan at all. I uh. <laughs> I, I tell people all the time I was young and dumb enough to believe that I could make it work. Wow. And, and it great combination, you know, because I had always kind of, you know, and again, it kind of ties back from Edgewood. You know, we were a working class town, um, you know, not a lot of country club dads. You know, my dad was an aircraft mechanic, retired from the Air Force and uh, just, you know, so there was a there was a there was a really strong work ethic and uh, that sense of, <clears throat> you know, you kind of just do the work and um and good things will happen. And, and it might not happen right away. You don't know, you know, it, it, but if you keep doing it, you know, you're going to outlast a lot of people. And that's kind of what, how I was, how I was raised. And, uh, I was, I was selling short stories <clears throat> my, during my senior year of college to other magazines. I, I, I had started writing again, um, after a, a break cause I played lacrosse in college and so, you know, I was more interested in sports and partying. And then I kind of, <laughs> I got hurt and got out of the game and I got back into writing and, because of Stephen King's work, I, I just, you know, I felt that really strong connection and I felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I was selling to these places and I was I was getting acceptances and a ton of rejections. But So I was feeling like, you know, a legit, you know, burgeoning writer here. And what happened is I would get the contributor copies with usually with a check for like eight dollars or something. <laughs> it, you know, you, you didn't get much money. Then. And. I would say about half the publications I was really proud to like show to family and friends and say, hey, look, I've got a story in this. <clears throat> and then the other half were just horrible. They were like stapled together. The artwork looked like I had drawn it, you know, stick figures, you know, pretty much. And and I remember throwing those in a drawer and thinking, man, I could do better than that. So there was a magazine called The Horror Show. One 
I found out it was a one man show. This guy, David Silva out in California was doing it. And he had, you know, he had stories by lots of people and columns and interviews. And it was, it was, I was just blown as a matter. Well, it's not on screen, but I've got a copy of sitting right here from way oh, back. That's, in bad the ass. that's cool. Yeah. I actually posted pictures on social media the other day. And I said, without this magazine, there would be no cemetery dance because I remember the moment I found out that he did everything as far as editing, proofreading, design, sold ads, you know, did that whole thing by himself in this in this trailer in in, uh, in the mountains of California. So that's that's all it took for the for an Edgewood guy. I was like, well, shit, if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so yeah, that that's that's how it started. The old he if he can do it, I can do it. And and so I published my first issue, that, which is described in in Chasing the Boogeyman. And um, you know, my roommate at the time did all the artwork for it. And and you know, it was just a slow process, and it built and built and. I, you know, I tell people all the time now because they ask for advice and I was, I was like, look, I, I made, I don't know if you want my advice. I made no money in the twenties, <laughs> in my twenties. I'm like, I worked my rear end off, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks longer, you know, the whole thing and, and uh, t- tons of discouraging times, but there was always enough positivity there and enough successes that, that I could build on it. And um, again, I'd like to look back and say, I was this brilliant business mind <laughs> and my game was always to do this, this, and this, but there, there was no how to book. So I was just, you know, it's something I tell my sons. I'm like, I've never done things the easy way, but what I have done is just done them in such a way that, uh, you know, um, it, it, it's, you know, what I've done whatever's necessary to get to the next point. And no matter how small, you know, I used to cover just a- any small marketing thing, you know, back then before the Internet. And then when, and when the Internet just started, anything I could do, you know, I, I was the philosopher. I, I, I always use the uh, the comparison. I said, you know, when I was a kid growing up on Hanson Road, I sold lemonade out of the corner of Hanson and Tupelo. And I said, that's still how I look at selling books is, you know, every book you sell counts. It's, it, every book you sell is, is a cup of that lemonade and, and it all adds up. And uh so yeah, that's that's the, no brilliant end game. Just a kid who was kind of just bulldozing through it and making tons of mistakes. Do, um, do you remember your first story? Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's where Cemetery Dance came from. Is I, I it was the first story I sold. It was not the first story I published okay. um, because some places took longer. But I sold some, and I thought it was a cursed story because I sold it twice, and both those magazines folded before they published it. <laughs> um, but what I remember is the editor's response to that story. I, I think they liked the title more than they liked the story itself because it was kind of evocative. So when it came time to, to name the magazine, the, the first title was Night Chills. And I still have a mock-up somewhere that somebody drew of the cover and it says Night Chills across the front and all that. Um, it's probably worth a couple of dollars. But it. Uh, I, I remember – you know, asking for feedback. A lot of things with night in the title and a lot of things with chills in the title, you know, maybe you should just try to come out of the gate and, and be more original and, and, you know, kind of something that's a catchier. And I just, I remember cemetery dance, everyone commented on the title and I was like, well, you know, let's do cemetery dance. So then I spent like the next five years explaining what the hell cemetery dance was to every Every bank, every bank, you know, uh, teller at my bank and at the post office to every single clerk at the desk and at Kinko's, you know, I still remember at University of Maryland doing flyers and uh, somebody's like, are you throwing a, a rave out in the cemetery? <laughs> no, nah, nothing, nothing nearly that cool, man. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a book nerd. You know, my rave days are over. 
Now, how'd you get linked up with Stephen King? Because you, you drop his name casually. You guys are buddies. How'd that? How'd you link up with him? And how young were you when you guys uh, like first connected? Well, right from the get go, like being like 22 or whatever, I sent him the first issue of the magazine up in Maine, mm-hmm. and um, then. You know, I sent him the second issue. I sent him the third issue. Uh, just everything we did, you know, eventually we got into books. I sent him a copy of every book. And I'm sure with letters saying, you know, you're my literary hero. You're, yeah, the, you know, you're the reason I'm doing this. And it was true. You know, in 10th grade in high school, we, we read one of his stories out loud in class. And it just I had that kind of awakening where it felt like a door was open. And I was like, I want to do this. And then, of course, I was into lacrosse and girls and parties. And so you kind of, you know, yeah, I want to do this maybe one day. And then when I got hurt from lacrosse, I remember being really lost because it was kind of my identity. You know, uh, I, you know, played for, you know, high school, college and, and you know, I, I was good at it. And it's what people knew me as. Um, and I remember feeling really lost. And that's when it came out in hardcover, the big the big doorstop book. And I read this book and it reminded me that this is what I was supposed to be doing. It was just, you know, I, I tell people that and I'm like, no, nah, you know, I'm not making it up to make it sound good. I'm not, you know, over being overly dramatic. It's just by the time I was finished with the book, I felt I wasn't lost anymore. And I kind of felt like, OK, this, this you know, I, I found my roadmap back and I started writing for the school newspaper, actually writing sports and then started writing fiction again. And um, so, yeah, you know, I'm sure I told him all those stories. And then at some point he sent me a, a, a nice blurb for the magazine saying, hey, you know, Cemetery Dance is one of the best. I read it wow. as soon as it comes And then he sent me an original short story um, for Cemetery Dance number 14. Um, and that was like three years into the business. So it came pretty quickly. Um, and then that led to, you know, like like I started doing books later that year in 91 and I think it was around 2000. He sent me uh, his his assistant sent me a manuscript copy of From a Buick Eight, which is about you know police officers in Pennsylvania, up in Amish country, and it's just a wonderful book. And he said you want to do a limited edition, so that was the first. And then spent the next years doing a lot of publishing deals with him and and developing a really strong business relationship. And then at some point that turned into a friendship. You know we uh, there's not a lot of big sports fans in uh, in the writing world. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I know. Every Super Bowl time, you always get, you know, all these posts on social media. What is this big game everyone's talking about? And some of them are being sarcastic and a lot of them aren't. Um, so, yeah, the fact that we were both big baseball fans and and uh, family guys, you know, people always say, well, what did you guys talk about in the beginning? And I'm like, you know, our families, our dogs, baseball. He's Red yeah. Sox. I'm Orioles. Um, he, you know, um you know, uh, everyone. So a, a lot of movies and other people's books. We didn't talk writing, you know, about our stuff at all. Um, but it just, yeah, it just became a friendship and uh, something that I was, you know, I felt very fortunate to have. I have a ton of athletes on. And I'm going to ask you kind of the same question. The first time guys go in the locker room, no matter how good they were in high school and college, you're standing with the greats. So the oh. first time you're collaborating with King, isn't it weird or intimidating as you get his ma- – oh, let me make an edit on this. Is it weird editing it and then like sending it back to him? Oh, no. The entire process is just – you know, I've been asked that question a lot obviously because it's Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and especially because it's it's Stephen King in so many ways. It's, it's not just Stephen King, the world's best-selling author and all these other things, but it's Stephen King who – I essentially had a copy of, you know, I essentially had a paperback of one of his books in my back pocket, you know, growing up every summer. So it's like that personal connection is is magnified so much. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was 
It's just, it's still, I look back at it and I'm like, it's ridiculous that I've written a couple books with Stephen King. I, I've got no other explanation to say it's ridiculous. It's wonderful. Um, when I did press for the first book, I always, uh, the, the line that ended up coming out repeatedly because it was just, it captured the honesty of it so much was I've always been a huge dreamer, but I never dreamt that big. You know, I'm sure in the beginning I dreamt maybe one day I'll publish Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Maybe one day I'll see an email with his name on it and he'll say, hey, Rich, why don't you do this? Um, but no way in, in any shape or form did I ever dream that we would write something together. And I'd be so, you know, have such an inside view of his process and uh, and his generosity and his talent and all that stuff is, you know, is essentially sitting next to him almost at, at a word processor. So, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, it's wonderful. It's, it's such a gift. So uh, that's how I look at it. And and uh, and I was terrified in the beginning. I was so, so excited when <laughs> it was like, hey, let's let's do this. And then I spent I didn't tell anyone in my family. I found out on a Friday we we're going to, you know, I was like, you sure you want to try this? He's like, yeah, give it a week. I didn't tell anyone in my family that entire weekend because it just, and we're a tight family, man. We talk about everything, but it was just, it wouldn't come out. And then that Sunday evening, I remember I, I we were just all sitting around watching something on television and I was like, guys, guess what? <laughs> you know, I'm going to collaborate with Stephen King and everything. It was just like in a movie, everything kind of went quiet and they looked at me like, what? I'm like, I know uh, it's, uh, you know, because by then it was it, the, the excitement had turned into kind of how the hell are you going to do this? And then Monday when I sat down to write, it was stared me in the face. And I remember my hand was shaking and I was like, you know, Rich, this is stupid. And I just opened my laptop and I started writing. And it, it's uh, like within an hour I was in Castle Rock, Maine, and, and all the nerves had gone. And I whipped out a huge part of the story like in the next three days. And I remember I just emailed it to him because I said, if I sit here and I try to nitpick and make it perfect, I'm never going to send it to him. <laughs> so, it, again, it was a case of, of just being, uh, you know, I wasn't young and dumb, but I was uh, I was old and, and still dumb enough to think I could do it. And um yeah. So that's a long winded way of saying yeah, I still no, have no idea how it happened. I still have no idea how I did it, but uh, it'll always be something I'm, I'm, I'm most grateful for, you know, the experience. Now, how'd you get linked up with James Renner? I love James Renner. He's been on the podcast before. We talk a lot. How'd you get linked up with him? You know what? It. I, I read uh, I'm trying to think the first one I read from him. It was uh, true, I think it was true crime addict. Oh, amazing. Amazing book. OK. Yeah. And, and see, and that's the thing. I, uh, you know, I've talked a lot about true crime because of Boogeyman, and I have such respect for the people who, who do that and do it well. You know, I've read some true crime books where I'm just like, you know, they should take this author out behind the shed and whoop his butt because <laughs> he can treat the subject with enough respect, or he just, you know, is sloppy, blah blah blah. You know, James and and some of the other guys who I really uh, that Michelle McNamara book, I, I just, you know, you could see. I've always told people, you know, I've always felt like I probably have a true crime book in me, you know, because I would I, I do like research and I, and I feel like I would, you know, break my back to, to do the subject justice and, and the people who are involved. And I and, and I really respect that about people like James. It's just you can see they put their heart and soul in there, sometimes to their own detriment mm -hmm. you know, to, to get the, the story right. And, um, you know, Boogeyman was kind of my way of doing that, but without. You know, doing all the hard work of the research and and dealing with their survivors and the friends, you know, I was able to make that stuff up. So, yeah, I just I, I, I read True Crime Addict and then I immediately do what anytime I find an author I really like is, is you know, I get online and, and get what else they have. 
So he was he was just someone who I really, really respected. And, and then he was one of my first calls when I uh, he's the only person I asked for a forward for the book. But he was one of the first people who I actually picked up the phone and told him about the project because I wanted to involve him in my uh, in my madness. And I remember I told him and he's like, I said, you know, James, tell me honestly, I said, because I can count the people on one hand who know about this and they're all related to me. I said, so if you, I said, and don't worry, you're not going to talk me out of it. I said, so if you think it's a ridiculous idea, it's okay. And I said, but I would just like, and he's like, no, Rich, I think this is really smart. And, you know, if you pull it off, it's, it's going to be something new and, uh, and, and something pretty exciting. So yeah, I was thrilled that he said yes. And he, he wrote his, you know, his forward to me fit perfectly with the book because it was so full of the small details that added up that made you think, well, there's no way he made this up. That, exactly. On the beach, you know, under the table. Mark, yeah. Yes. Yes. That it was like it balanced the table at, at a beach condo <laughs> at Chisholm, Maryland, you know, which happens to be the state in which Chismar lives in. So uh, when I read that, I just thought, wow, I said, this is this is perfect. And um, yeah, I'm really grateful to him for that. Chasing the Boogeyman has an end, but it's so successful. Is there any chance of maybe more books, a prequel, or like uh, staying with the Boogeyman name and going on, or not really? Yeah, you know what? That's that's uh, actually I'm going to write a sequel. So that, oh, that's, awesome! That's, really, it's coming next. I I had no intentions of doing it. I had no intentions of kind of ending it. Um, you know, with like like any good horror film where you have that sequel possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I purposely in in the uh, interview at the end um, where I interview, you know, the uh, the killer and, you know, he leaves some things open ended. And I I didn't do that to to leave the door open for a sequel. I did it because, you know, uh, most cases, you know, as you know, they don't end up nice and neat with a bow tied, you know, nice and and tidy. You know, there's usually questions that are still unanswered. And um, so I did that to try to like I did with the rest of the book to try to be as authentic as I could be because um, I didn't want this, you know, this guy who had done all these things and 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 kind of paralyzed this town to kind of just say, OK, here's everything you want to know. So but when but that struck a chord with a lot of readers and, and it struck a chord with me, it kind of it kind of echoed in the back of my head that, you know, there's still more of this story to tell. And I don't even know all the answers myself, but that's that was kind of the fun of writing this book is, you know, they came as I wrote it. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I feel like, uh, you know, it's going to be in present day with me at this age, obviously. And uh, and, you know, he's still incarcerated, but uh, there's there's other things happening that, again, involve the smuck name Richard Chismar. So uh, and I actually told my uh, my agent, I said, well. (laughs) I said, I promise I'm never writing a book about myself again. I said, but I got to write this one. So, yeah, we're, we're in the process now, working out a deal. And uh, that's that's actually going to be the next book I write. Ready to finish up with some quick hit questions? Sure. You and I are at a bar here in New York City. Not Stephen King, because we, we know that already. Who's the coolest cat in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back? Oh, man. Because um, King's, King's a heavy name. I'm not going to lie. That's a oh, big yeah. time name, yeah, yeah. No, you know what? I'm trying to. Th- I'd have to look at my phone to tell you. I. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, I've done some movie stuff in the past, and and through the book world, uh, you know, um, I've met some interesting people. So, and I'm not even trying to cop out here. And I'm. It's just like, who the hell would I say? You know, whether it be my buddy, you know, 
you know, I don't know. I grew up with this guy named John Sheck, who was a big actor out in Hollywood for years, and he's still out there working. And I know some country singers, you know, Janet Kramer and some others. So it's like, hell, I, that's a shitty answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here we go. What's your? I have a lot of true crime writers on. What's your writing schedule? I know Eric Larson, uh, Joseph Lombard, Carol Schefter. They're very OCD with their writing. Are you the same way? Only when I'm into the story. You okay. know, that's the thing. I, I, I have never been and it's not about it's not a matter of discipline, but because of my job, you know, the editorial side, every day is a little bit different, uh, which is which is probably what has kept me in the game for 30 plus years because I've never gotten bored or burnt out. Um, but uh, so so I've, I've never been able to be that guy who wakes up, has his breakfast, writes for four hours. And then, you know, I, when I was younger, I wrote at night when everything was silent and I'd go for a run or walk the dog and and it inspired me. You know, now I'm old and I can't do that anymore. Um, but so but once I'm into the book, once it's got its hooks into me, I, I write all day, every day. And that's the thing. I uh, I, I kind of disappear from the world for three months. And fortunately, I'm a fast writer, so I can get that draft down and I'm not rushing it. But it's just I, I embarrass my kids because I'll tell you, know, we'll all go out to dinner or lunch and I take my laptop with me because I'm like, you know, I, I might have to finish this. And <laughs> I might have a thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people blow the horns at me because I have my laptop open on the center console and I'm writing a couple lines before I forget it. And yeah, I'm that guy. So it it, it always my wife will know when, when she has to repeat things like instead of having to repeat them two or three times, she has to repeat them five or six to get through to me. She's like, he's in his writing world and this is, he's going to be worse for the next three months. So yeah, I wish I had a, a dedicated writing schedule, but I'm just, it, it's wherever the story takes me. One sporting event in history you wish, uh, you wish you could have witnessed live. Mm, man, let's see. Um, probably, you know what? I would have liked to see the, the Ravens win the Super Bowl. I, uh, I, you know, there's a chance I was going to go and I didn't go. I've seen some cool things. I was there for, I had, I had cancer when I was 29 and again, when I was 30 and fortunately I was, uh, uh, you know, I, I came out of there in good shape. Um, but I remember I went to Cal Ripken's, uh, street tying game and his, oh, wow. Like a month after, uh, like a month off of chemo. I was skinny. I was still sprouting hair again. I was weak as shit. But I remember both of those games, you know, standing up for, you know, just for such a long time, applauding and being overwhelmed. And and I've seen some other, you know, I've seen some other, uh, you know, prominent. I saw the last game at Memorial Stadium with my wife, uh, freezing cold, and and you know, I had tears rolling down my face like a sap. So yeah, but probably seeing the Ravens win the uh, Super Bowl would be would have been it for me. Yeah, that's I'm a Giants fan, so that's probably the worst game I never want to see again. Um, so, a- <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You guys beat the Patriots so twice, twice, so it evens out. And I was like one of the few Tom Coughlin fans. I I, I missed the guy. He reminded I, I, me a lot. He reminded me a lot of Edgewood dads. You know, <laughs> just fiery and stuff. Yeah. Just, fiery and and you know old but still look like he could kick your butt and you just like i i'm not gonna mess with you you've got old man strength and probably <laughs> like <laughs> mental telepathy stuff you can do i it's if i i always said if i played for tom Coggle, then i would have been playing for the guy because i didn't want to disappoint him uh last show you binge watched or last show that you binge watch that you'd recommend for somebody oh man what's the uh uh midnight mass 
You know, I'll, that's I'll ask, easy, yeah, I watch it. It was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, like we talked about it and everybody loved it until 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 it became too popular, and then you started getting all the negative posts. Which oh, is, yeah, it was it was good early on because no one knew about it. Then everyone hyped it up too much, and they hated it. Yeah, exactly. But I actually really enjoyed it, even with the long ass dialogue and and you know the the long uh, you know speeches and stuff. I like it's kind of like okay, he's doing this on purpose, and yeah. and it's actually working for me. So yeah, I watched that with my son, and, and we really enjoyed it. And finally, coolest piece of memorabilia you own and the coolest book you own, whether it's a first edition or an old book, coolest book and coolest piece of memorabilia. Um, the coolest book I own is probably uh, it, you know, because I after <clears throat> after I, I got to know Steve uh, and, and was able to tell him that story of, of what it did for me. Um, you know, I, I just, just said, look, I'm going to be a fanboy if it's all right. I'm going to send you my copy that I read back there in college. And if you don't mind signing it to him, and he, sent, and he signed it with a really kind oh, that's um, awesome. description. So that's my favorite book. And then what was the other part? Memorabilia. Um, you know what? Huge Oriole fan. I, I still have a baseball signed by all the uh, the 20 game winners back then when it was Palmer and McNally and Cuellar and Pat Dobson. That was one. And I did take that out. It was actually my dad got that for me. And typical, you know, suburban growing up in the 70s stories. I did take that out because we were we didn't have a ball and I played with it in the side yard with my friends. <laughs> so it's a little scuffed up. But, uh, <laughs> that's probably it. I, I, I've you know, I, I'm not a huge, you know, autograph guy or anything like that. But uh you know, and I've got some memorabilia from movies, but you know what? Just I have so many memories of going to Memorial Stadium with my dad and, uh, you know, parking a mile from the from the <laughs> state because we could save in parking and leaving in the seventh damn inning so we could get to our car. <laughs> so, yeah. And not that you need any more plugs, but plug the book where they can buy it and where they can follow you on Twitter because you're an awesome follow on Twitter. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter under my name, Richard Chismar. Um, and you can buy the book anywhere. That's the cool thing about Boogeyman and, and, and actually, you know, it doing well is what, you know, you can walk into a Barnes and Noble or a Books a Million or you can, um, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble dot com, any of those places. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good Christmas gift, folks. It sure <laughs> is. Rich. Yo, this was a blast. Thank you so much for doing this. The book was I couldn't recommend it enough, man. So thanks for doing this. I had a blast doing this. Go UVA, man. I'm rooting for you and your son down in UVA. Not the Orioles ever, so don't worry. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? You can root for him. It doesn't matter now. <laughs> Thank you, though. I'll I appreciate it. I enjoyed brother. this. All right. Take Peace care, out, brother. Thanks. See you later. Bye-bye.